0: Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Genesis two, one through four. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight, and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. Isaiah fifty-eight thirteen through 14. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty-eight thirty. 30. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God.
0: Thanks, Caesar. Let's just be still and pray.
1: Take a breath if you want. Maybe hold out your palms just in a posture of receiving what God has for you today. Holy Spirit, would you come? Breath of God, breathe upon us your very presence. We come awake right now to the reality that even the breath in our lungs is borrowed from you. Thank you for our very breath. And now, Lord, would you, by your spirit, illuminate our minds to the beauty of Jesus. We wanna see Jesus rightly today and respond to Jesus in obedience today because in your presence is fullness of joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, uh, through this summer, you guys, we have been in a series called Hearing God's Voice, and it comes from that Hebrew word shema, see that? That's the Hebrew word for hear. It comes from the earliest parts of the scriptures. God's people are people who recognize God as a God who speaks, and we are his hearers. And it's not just hearing his voice in our ear out the other, but to hear in the Bible is to respond in obedience. That's what hearing is. So um, today, we're looking at what might be the most concrete, tangible way to, to posture ourselves to hear God's voice. Uh, out of this whole series, this is very practical. It might feel like a really practical lecture slash uh, testimony from me or whatever, but I, uh, for some reason, this, this practice we're gonna talk about today It tends to be one of the most challenging things to our way of life as Americans, but I would argue this has the potential to save your life uh, in many ways. It's the practice of Sabbath, okay? So we try to teach on Sabbath at least once a year. Uh, The last time I think we had a full teaching on it was in fall of 2021 within our Future Church series. We had a whole panel of diverse life stages and relationship statuses. (laughs) We had a diverse panel up front, singles and unmarrieds and marrieds and people with kids and not with kids. How do you do Sabbath? And they answered live Q&A from you and everything. It was a really powerful day. And then before that, in July of 2021, a year ago about this week, we had Dave Lomas from Reality San Francisco come down and give a powerful teaching on this this practice that comes from Jesus. So. I think this, is, this conversation is very necessary because I continue to believe the idea of Sabbath or, or the work-rest rhythms of the scriptures, I think it grates against our uniquely American context. <laughs> um, according to the United States Department of Labor, you guys, the U.S. is currently maybe the most overworked developed nation in the world according to the latest data. And that finding is based on multiple factors from how many people per household are working now, 63% of married, both both people, 63% of married couples, both people work, which is fine, it is what it is, but it's a lot. How many hours worked per year were so high? How little paid vacation time or paid sick days we allow for ourselves? How little parental leave benefits are available compared to other nations? It's kind of wild. And, and then hold all that up to the latest from the World Health Organization. People who work 55 or more hours a week face an estimated 35% higher risk of a stroke, 17% higher risk of heart disease compared to people following the widely accepted standard of working 35 to 40 hours a week. So the data is in, all right, enough data. You're not here for data. But we are swimming in an ocean of hurry and busy and exhaustion. Uh, and the call of Jesus is that we would become a community of rest. And it's only from that healthy biblical rhythm of work and rest that we can become people who can hear God's voice above the exhausting noise of a culture driven by performance and achievement, right? So, there are many ways many ways to rest well as God's people. But at the top of the list, in the scriptures, from the very beginning, is to remember the Sabbath. To remember the Sabbath. Did you guys, I don't know how often you think of this, that's actually one of the 10 commandments, (laughs) to remember the Sabbath. I mean, look at all 10, I like, when I talk about Sabbath, I like putting all 10 on the screen, uh, just because they all seem really smart, like, to obey. Right, (laughs) that's good ideas, you know, like, uh, we look at these Ten Commandment, Commandments and we're like, yeah, that stuff is super important. It matters. Like if someone says, hey, you shouldn't be sleeping with someone else's spouse, I don't think any of us would be like, that's so Old Testament, you know? <laughs> that's just legalism or whatever. Or like, hey, you probably shouldn't kill people. No, I'd be like, that's so Old Covenant. We're in the New Covenant now. I can kill people or whatever. But then, But we actually do come to the Sabbath. So we do come to the Sabbath and we're like, no, that's that's old. That's old news. And so, uh, A.J. Swoboda, he uh, <laughs> he says it this way: We've we've essentially created a church culture of nine commandments and one really nice suggestion. So, so again, this is this should this should feel very familiar to you. If you come to this church, you should feel like we've talked about this before. Uh, I'm going to bring it from a fresh voice and a fresh perspective. But every year. I think this might be one of the golden calves, the workaholism and performance-based, achievement-based activity, that keeps us from hearing God's voice. So, so this is going to be a drum our community beats on, um, with joy, okay, with freedom in Christ. And uh, so, if so, think about it. it uh, you know, we literally celebrate people who don't keep Sabbath, right? Um, if you were disobeying, if you're breaking the other Ten Commandments, like about. You know, sleeping with someone else's spouse or treating your parents horribly, you'd probably be losing friends. But if you disobey the Sabbath command, we promote you. You know, we give you raises. Uh, We move you up the ladder. Our country used to have these things called blue laws. You know what a blue law is? I didn't even know what a blue law is until about two years ago when the pandemic hit. So not long ago, there was a time when there was no such thing as a 24-hour restaurant. The closest thing we have to this now is like Chick-fil-A closed on Sundays, says Kanye, you know. Chick-fil-A is closed. By the way, that does nothing but drive thousands of people nuts on Sundays that are starving. So uh, because, you know why? Because we don't have blue laws anymore. Blue laws used to be a set time in our society when everything would just shut down in observance of corporate rest as a nation. It was a law in many places. Can you imagine that? The answer is no, because we have absolutely nothing like that anymore. The closest thing we've seen recently to a culture-wide shutdown was a literal pandemic, and it took a hundred-year pandemic to get us all to just stop. And we're still in therapy for that, right? So, so we're a 24/7 culture, and it's killing us. We can't do that. We can't. We can't stop doing this thing. And so uh, Caesar read from Genesis 2, and one of the fascinating things about the Genesis creation stories is that they weren't the only ones around at the time. Egypt, Babylon, Canaan, they all had these creation stories in their holy books. Um, But what's interesting about the Genesis creation stories, and there's two of them, Genesis 1 and 2 are two creation stories that work together to reveal God's truth. So what's interesting about the Genesis stories is how they're different from all the other, you know, Egyptian, Canaanite, and Babylonian. The Genesis creation story is the only one that says God does not require us to work seven days. It's the only ancient creation story that gives work dignity and makes rest sacred. All the other gods say humans are our slaves, right? In fact, that's exactly what the ancient Jews were delivered from, Egypt. Egypt's, Pharaoh's gods, Egypt's gods, Their creation stories had humans as a random offshoot of the battles of the gods and then they became slaves immediately. So no wonder Pharaoh had this slavery ethic and brought all of the Hebrews into slavery. That's what his gods specifically commanded. But when God delivered, when Yahweh, the true and living creator, delivered the Jews from slavery, God's message to them was loud and clear. It's like, no, no, no. I made you, I love you, so you can rest from your work, and then work from your rest, both work hard, rest hard, and well. It's easy to do work lazy, and it's easy to do rest lazy, but God's like, not in my kingdom. You will have my work rest work rest rhythms. So in the Genesis story, Adam and Eve were made on day six, right? Did you know this? Adam and Eve made on day six in the story, which means what? The first full 24 hours of human existence was Sabbath, day of rest. So you guys, do you realize we worship the God who basically invented the weekend? So so God's seventh day rest was the first divine activity humans were privileged to witness and enjoy, and we don't adopt culture's definition of the weekend, do we? It's worship and delight, not indulgence and self-actualization. So actually, that's a profound picture of the gospel. This is a profound picture of the Gospel. The gospel is not, hey, do your work first and then you get rest. Adam and Eve, created on day six, they rested first in God's provision and presence, and then out of that they worked hard and delighted in the gracious gifts of God and filled the world with creativity. So So this is why, for thousands of years, through practicing one Sabbath day every week, God's people learn to rest in God's presence. They learn God's presence. And then out of God's presence, they rest as God's image bearers reflecting his presence into the world. But you guys, it's so easy to forget this. So easy to forget this. Sabbath doesn't make sense to us, naturally. We forget to live in God's rhythms of rest we were designed to thrive in because we're addicted to success according to performance and achievement. And we forget who we are, human beings. God's image bearers. And and we have this spiritual amnesia. It's a kind of amnesia, spiritually. So today, I wanna once again call our church away from this amnesia and remember the Sabbath. We've forgotten how to remember. So today, Jewish rabbis have a term for this, like modern Jews. They have this term, Tanuk shanishba," which means the child who was captured. Describes a Sabbath forgetter. So Judith Shulevitz describes this person uh, who forgets the Sabbath. She says, the rabbis discussed the legal implications of forgetting the Sabbath. What would the penalty for such amnesia or ignorance be? And what kind of Jew could be so oblivious to the Sabbath? Only, the rabbis thought, a Jew who had suffered extreme cultural dislocation. Only a Jew who had been kidnapped as a child and raised by non-Jews. It's the only explanation. For Jews, to forget the Sabbath was to forget your identity, entire identity. A Jew forgetting the Sabbath was like an Israelite raised by Pharaoh. So without Sabbath, God's people's DNA is compromised. And as the church, we're God's people today, Jew and Gentile. With the Father, Abraham is our father. And we're called to enter God's rest the same way. To remember the Sabbath is literally to remember who you are children born of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. So this is the invite. You're all invited, re-invited. This is your annual renewal. Uh, Jesus' invitation is one for you to rest in him. That's the invitation. We read, Caesar read from Matthew 11 in Jesus' passage, his invitation, come to me, you know. he, He doesn't say come to me and I'll make you successful or come to me and I'll load you up with rules. He says come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, my working rhythms. A yoke was a tool of work. There's hard work to be done, and it's good. Take that on you, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest, hard, good, deep rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. This is God's heart for you, is that you each become an expert in Jesus' rest for your life. Jesus is not at all glorified or made attractive when his followers are burned out and stressed in the same way everyone else in the world is. I'll be honest, I feel a little bit of that right now because it's been a year and this next week, my wife and kids and I, we're, we're gonna step over that vacation threshold and we're gonna rest hard for a couple of weeks. And I thank you church and elders for allowing that extended time every July to the Wickham family so that we can do this. Um, so I have a question for you, rhetorical. Uh, what, if, what if you were asked to sum up your whole life in one, one word or one phrase? Like describe you in your new threads bio or whatever. Like who are you? Uh, in, in your life, one word. What if you're like, I'm Evan. Here's my one word. Space. I have margin. Like, your bio is just green waters, still pastures. That's me. Or Wait, that's, you got it. You know what I mean, though. Green pastures, still waters. <laughs> I caught that. That's, that's me. That's how I live. Green pastures, still waters. What if you honestly described your life that way? That would be amazing. Few things are more attractive than a person who's centered and restful their presence, just being with them, brings the anxiety level of the room down. John Tyson, a friend of ours and pastor in New York, he says, a restful spirit is spiritual warfare in a culture of exhaustion. I believe that. So we have to learn to live in this rhythm of rest. This means we have to be honest. You know what this means, honesty? About how you're actually living. Being honest with yourself, be honest with your community, how are you doing? Fine is not an acceptable response. Describe how you're feeling. Describe how you're doing in the presence of God. So I'm going to ask you, rhetorically, honest question. (laughs) Consider, how are you doing right now? Like, how are you breathing right now? How's San Diego life treating you? How's that San Diego life? How are your rhythms of work and rest? Are you becoming more like Jesus because of the rhythms? Are you looking at your current rhythms and thinking, oh, I could live another 30 years with this? Are you feeling that way? If so, praise God. Or are you like, I don't know how much I can take it anymore? Something's got to change. A friend of mine talks about a bug versus a feature. We think even going on vacation will fix problems that we've actually made features, unhealthy features of our work rest rhythms. Sometimes we're like, oh, I'll just go on vacation, I'll clear out the bug in my system. But then you come back and you're just as stressed out. Because it wasn't a bug. You actually made unhealthy work rest rhythms a feature of your system. That takes Sabbath, that takes communal Sabbath. So, So Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. That's his invitation. And the kind of rest we're talking about today is the practice of Sabbath. So why, why Sabbath? Um, quick list, Sabbath is a command in the Old Testament. I know we're New Covenant, but in the Old Testament, Sabbath is commanded in which was Jesus' Bible, the Old Testament you have is the Bible Jesus obeyed, and we followed Jesus. So And Jesus practiced Sabbath. Did you know Jesus taught? He clearly taught about Sabbath. What did he say? He said uh, that he's the Lord of Sabbath, but Sabbath also, it wasn't made to enslave you it wasn't made to be your master sabbath was made to serve you and still be a gift it's still your servant and still your gift he did not erase it he did not declare sabbath obsolete he declared all foods clean he did not declare sabbath obsolete right and then sabbath was practiced all through church history by many christian denominations it was called the lord's day it was considered holy and it's still a gift for you to receive right now and for the rest of your life. So Caesar also read from the prophet Isaiah, one of the most beautiful calls to rest in the whole Bible. Um, just Shema, listen to this, right? Just hear, deep, hear this deeply right now. So here it is, Isaiah 58. If you keep your feet from breaking Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight, and the lord's holy day honorable and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words then you will find your joy in the lord my goodness god's heart doesn't change his character doesn't change this is his heart for his people then and now this was his heart for israel 600 years before Christ, and his heart for his people hasn't changed. He desires our rest in his presence because his presence is still fullness of joy. So he wants, God wants his rhythms to flood your life so you can hear his voice and respond with joy to all of life's circumstances. Doesn't that, how does that sound? <laughs> like how, do, like, I'm in. I don't know about you guys. Like, I'm in to that level of flourishing. So, so I'll practically, Practically, what is Sabbath? What does it even look like to do a Sabbath? Uh, And by the way, at the end of this sermon, I'll address some common concerns and objections that typically come up uh, to to Sabbath. But first, I just wanna kind of define it. What is it? What's Sabbath? Well, so Pete Scazzaro, the author of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he defines Sabbath this way. Uh, Pete Scazzaro, by the way, is a pastor in New York, in Queens, in a... Big church full of busy people in New York, like one of the most unrestful cities in the world. And he's crushing it, preaching Sabbath, and his church is observing this, and it's beautiful. So um, here's peace Skizero. P- P- the word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word that means to cease, to stop working. It refers to no- doing nothing related to work for a 24-hour period each week. It refers to this unit of time around which we are to orient our entire lives as holy, meaning separate from the other six days of creation. Sabbath provides an additional rhythm for an entire reorientation of our lives around the living God. On Sabbath, we imitate God by stopping our work and resting. So 24 hours, shut it down and rest. So Genesis two, God rested, and Exodus 20 points back to Genesis and says, hey, you do that, you guys rest, And, and then the commands keep flowing through Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And so right now, I'm just gonna preempt some questions, maybe pushbacks, you're like, okay, Evan, great. I take a day off each week. And I wanna say to that, this is not about a day off. This is, so a day off is when exhausted, overworking people finally get around to all the chores they missed during the week, that's a day off. It's, It's the catch up day and God knows we all need grace for the catch up day, for sure. But that might be a day off from your paid job, but it's not the substance of Sabbath, the rich dwelling in his presence. So Sabbath is something different. Taking a weekly weekly Sabbath day to worship, feast, and rest, it's really, what Sabbath is, is to practice God's promised future in our present moment. So what's our future? It's fullness of joy in his presence. And it's to pull that into the now and say, I am a person of his presence today it's a so sabbath becomes a weekly preview of coming new heavens and new earth in your home in your life with your community with your chosen family with your bio family with your loved ones with your church community group whatever you got going becomes this moment where you celebrate your promised eternity in a day it's eternity in a day okay so you might so you might be like okay evan that's nice theology But how do I start? I have a day off, but now you're saying that doesn't count and I'm feeling confused. Uh, So how do I do Sabbath? So theologian Marva Dawn, who's just passed away two years ago, I loved her writing on worship. Incredible theologian. She breaks down the practice of Sabbath in four simple parts. You ready for this? This is so helpful. Uh, I'm gonna talk about this for the rest of my life. So it's, it's ceasing, resting, embracing, and feasting. And that's from Marvadon's Keeping the Sabbath Holy. Get the pun? The, the, theologian, theologian nerd pun there. Keeping the Sabbath holy. So, so there's the four things. Uh, so number one, ceasing. What does that mean? Just like it sounds. Scazzaro says, Sabbath is first and foremost a day when we all cease, all work, paid and unpaid. On the Sabbath, we embrace our limits. We let go of the illusion that we are indispensable to the running of the world. We recognize we'll never finish all our goals and projects and that God is on the throne managing quite well and ruling the universe without our help. So this this ceasing is literally saying I'm not gonna take any calls. I'm not gonna open a social media app for 24 hours. The world will actually not be worse without my tweets, you know? It's creating intentional boundaries that say, God, you, not me, you are the sovereign ruler of my life and the rest of the world. The world will run without me because God's in charge. That's what sovereign means. It means in charge of everything. He sees and upholds it all. So I'm cool, not checking my email for 24 hours, it's going to be fine. And uh, there's... You, you can go. You can go on, you know, Google or whatever, or whatever ChatGPT nowadays. I don't know what you use to like look look up information. Uh, hopefully not ChatGPT only. That thing lies. But um, it really it didn't do well with me. I had a theology question for it, and it was so wrong. But um, <laughs> um, there's plenty of articles you can find online about work-related anxiety. Tons of articles. But but we know that, people are stressed. You know what's helpful to know? There's some articles you can find where they actually tell you what to do. And, and, and the helpful ones say, you need, to, you need to stop, you need to actually stop and take time to be honest about your relationship with your work. Am I taking on too much? How do I know what too much is? Do I even know the size of my plate? I can say, oh, I have too much on my plate what's the diameter of your platter? Do you even know? Do you even know what size your plate is? I remember one of our church planners, he's like, Evan, you've got this size plate, I've got that size plate. I'm like, how do you even know that? That's so self-aware, it's awesome. Like, you can for sure plant a church if you know how big your, what size your plate is, you can do it with any plate, as long as you know what size it is. So, so Or maybe you can say, here's my plate, but maybe I've taken on too many trivial things so that I'm unable to take on the things God wants me to. Maybe I'm not supposed to say no to serving Park Hill kids. I'm supposed to say no to X, Y, Z so that I can serve one Sunday a month. What are the, th- what are the trivial things in the stack on my plate that are keeping me from the obedience? You, these are things you, all I'm saying is the only way you'll know this is if you stop. That's what Sabbath is for, to stop. Pray, reflect, look back on your Monday and say, God, thank you for dinner on Monday. It's Friday night, but I thank you for what I ate on Monday. You provided that. Tuesday, thank you for that lunch out with my friend. Wednesday, I got that project done. Praise God, thank you God for empowering me and gifting me to do that well. You actually reflect on your plate and then you pray for God's power for your next week. That stopping is what that is for. And this is essential to our well-being, and it requires cease, worshipfully cease. And trust me, I know there's things to think about, people to connect with, ongoing conversations. There's always gonna be that email you forget to respond to. It's just how life will be. And that's just Monday morning, you know. For me, there's no real stopping everything. But here's the deal, okay? Uh, For me, I'm 42 now, and I'm beginning to realize that there has to be an intentional weekly shut-down moment. Otherwise, everything will shut down in an ugly way. The reality is, whether you intentionally stop for Sabbath or you never Sabbath and unintentionally stop and die, either way, Sabbath is coming for you. You will rest in peace one way or another. So to enter Sabbath means, number one, to cease so that we can truly enter number two, which is rest. Again, here's number two, rest. Ceasing, resting. Here's Pete Scazzaro on this one. Once we stop, we accept God's invitation to rest. God rested after his work of creation. Every seventh day, we're to do the same. That's the passage Caesar read, Genesis two. We engage in activities that restore and replenish. Can we say those two R words? Restore and replenish. Restore and replenish. How? napping, hiking, reading, eating food, to enjoying hobbies, playing sports, all these things. Keywords, restore and replenish. Problem is, we confuse restore and replenish with relax. And we can't tell the difference anymore. And that's being lazy at resting. It's so easy to become lazy at resting. Binging Netflix over takeout with ramen is super relaxing, it will not restore your soul. The Netflix binge won't, maybe the ramen will. The ramen might restore your soul. But the Netflix binge just won't. You know, I don't, Evan Evan Wickham don't come out of like six episodes of that Netflix series and I'm like, thank you God, I'm flourishing in my gifts. My destiny is being realized. I am being released into the world as the fullest version of myself as a child of God because of that. No, what am I doing in that moment of Netflix binging? It's more like I'm medicating my mediocrity. That's what I'm doing. Uh, that's, that's me. That's me, okay? What, what activities truly refill me? The question is, what refills? And here's, here's an example of this. Those of you that were at Royal Family Kids Camp, you know this. You were trained to serve the kids in foster care that came to camp with compliments that refreshed them right? Encouragements that replenish them because there's deficits there. There's relational deficits in some of those children's lives. So what kinds of compliments didn't, aren't refreshing? Uh, Andrea calls them fast food compliments, right? Say, like, hey, good job, buddy. Good job's like in one ear, out the other. What's a nutritious compliment? It's like, hey, little Philip," you go up to Philip's, you get on his level and you say, "Philip, I saw you give your toy to Sarah, and when you did that, you were a strong leader because she wanted that, and I know you wanted it too, but you gave it up because you were kind to her. I see leadership in you, Philip, that was so good. I'm, I wanna be a better man because of you, Philip, and this nine-year-old is just absorbing, nutritious, replenishing encouragement. That's the difference between Sabbath replenishment and, and Netflix binge relaxation for your soul, okay? This is, what what really replenishes you? What's a nutritious versus a fast food rest for you? For me, if I'm sitting on my back deck with a good book, great beverage, taking a long walk with Sandy and the kids through our neighborhood, or hiking through mission trails with my community, I'm closer to God, I'm as close to God as I've ever been in that moment. Just eye contact, fully present to God and the people he has in my life. So Jesus' rest means renewal, not just relaxation, okay? Okay. Uh, So we're designed to need this, it's not an option. So so here's Marva Dawn again, failing to rest after six days of steady work will lead to insomnia, or sleepiness, hormonal imbalances, fatigue, irritability, organ stress and other increasingly bad stuff, just bad stuff. So Jesus' invitation is that we'd step into a rhythm of ceasing from work, deliberate rest that's not just relaxing but is holistically renewing so that we can embrace. See, it's not just about me. Sabbath isn't just about me time. It's embrace. You know what that is? It's eye contact. You know how powerful eye contact is? Profound, sustained eye contact with God and with each other. Sabbath is a scheduled weekly reminder that life's not about what we do. Rather, it's about who we're loved by. Remind yourself who you're loved by and remind someone else who they're loved by on the Sabbath. Invite, <laughs> invite people to your house. Unmarried folks, invite married families over to your house. Married folks, invite unmarried families to your house. Eye contact, presence. There's no better example of this embracing than John's gospel right in the middle, chapter 13. You know John? What'd John call himself? Beloved. He didn't even call himself John. John called himself the disciple who Jesus beloved. Jesus held him. Jesus beheld me. He loved me. And you see John in that moment of intimacy in the upper room, leaning back on Jesus' chest in special communion, in communion. And so so this is, and John he went from son of thunder to I'm the disciple who Jesus loved. His identity shifted. He wanted to kill his enemies, and then he, I, I just want to be known as beloved by Jesus. So this is the Sabbath day, stop and rest, embrace God and community in eye contact intimacy. So so Sabbath is communal. And then um, finally, cease, rest, embrace, and feast. Literally a feast, so that's a personal favorite of mine. We We got that feast and uh, eugene peterson it's not just about you know glutting on food hopefully it's not at all about glutting on food it's it's about eugene peterson calls it uh pleasure stacking i love like take two things that you and others will be delighted by and worship god at the same time but also just be laugh like be enthralled and enjoy stack those two things or more on top of each other with people for a day pleasure stacking so um this means beauty, music, food, affection, social intimacy, all the things that come with that. So here's how it looks at the Wickham House, okay? It's a literal pleasure stack of pancakes. It involves a stack of pancakes every week. So here's, here it is. Uh, I've, I've said this before, but it's been a couple years maybe. Once I stop work, I cease from work, we all power down our phones on Thursday night, um, and Friday morning sometimes. Our Sabbath goes from Friday morning to Saturday morning, officially. So we wake up, Friday morning, all devices go off, and they'll stay off until Saturday mid-morning. And you know, during the school year, we'll take the kids to school on Friday morning because they still have school. But we'll make a big brunch together, and we'll just stay in the same room. So the big kids who are out of school, we're just in the room. We're in the room. We don't leave the room. Sometimes looking down at your phone, you leave the room. We don't leave the room. Ask each other questions, highs and lows. That's always a good, you know, icebreaker. And then uh, sometimes Sandy and I will just break off and go to lunch. Uh, Back when the kids were smaller, this definitely took flexibility, especially with a family of seven. And with four of our five kids across two different schools, it was hard, but it was always worth it. So then the kids come home from school, it's 3 o'clock, they're home and we get dinner on and we, you know, cooking dinner all together. And we usually all, we usually all vote on a family double feature movie. So the kids get to vote and we put a bunch of movies down and we rank them according to, everyone gets number one, number two, number three rankings. And we use a point system to see which movies go up. Um, and the first movie is for the littles. And then the, the more grown up one is later after they can't stay awake anymore. And we don't have a TV always on, on the wall or whatever, which nothing against that. We have a projector that we like to throw up on the wall, which is fun. And we p- literally pull it out of the garage for Sabbath in the living room. And so um, we set it up, make popcorn, watch the movies, go to bed. And in the morning, Sabbath is not over until the ceremonial pleasure stack of pancakes. <laughs> so it ends with pancakes. And I just... This is important to to say to stay accountable for me. I used to be super stingy about syrup. So from from for, this is a family of origin wound. This is like living below the poverty line. So my parents they would get real maple syrup once in a blue moon, and and I and my mom if I used more than a spoonful she'd be like hey and and I couldn't use the syrup and so syrup was like worth more than its weight in gold growing up. And so we would get the Kirkland Costco bottle of maple syrup and the kids would start putting it on and for years they'd be like, hey, hey, no, no, that's too much. This is, a Sabbath, this is a Sabbath delight, no, no more. <laughs> and so, stop. And, and it would just be this atmosphere, this atmosphere that came from like deep in my past. And so, uh, and then my friend AJ Swoboda, who I quoted already, he wrote the book Subversive Sabbath, which I highly recommend, he, he I heard him tell a story that comes from Jewish history, there's a tradition in Sabbath observance among Jews where the father of the house would go out into the fields on Sabbath morning and collect honey from a, a hive and bring in a, just a scoop, just a generous scoop of honey. Who knows how much he got stung or whatever, that's sacrifice. And he brought in this honey and he made sure his son had a mouthful. All his kids each had a mouth filled with unnecessary honey so that they would know specifically that the presence of God is full of joy and taste and see that God is good and Sabbath will always trigger sweetness in your mouth for Yahweh. And I'm like, dang it. (laughs) This this is literally two on the nose, AJ. And so I had a formal repentance, Sabbath morning like confession. Like I stood up, I'm like, you guys, I told them the story from AJ, this is, and and I, I saw it in their face. Like, dad, you don't do that. I'm like, this is the point. I repent, I have withheld the goodness of God from you. You will, you will, from here on out, taste and see that Yahweh is good in your very mouths. Pour it on, go, For, pour it on. Every week you get to pour, I will, I will always say more if you want, <sighs> and I'm like, I'm, like, I'm like working against my more. And, and so they do, they just, I, I, hopefully I haven't really relapsed since, my wife can attest. But, uh, but yeah, th- there's that sweetness that we're cultivating. So as soon as pancakes are done, we clean up, Sabbath is over, I hit the computer and start finishing the sermon, it's final touches for Sunday. So that's, that is Cease, Rest, Embrace, Feast. What does it look like for you, what day, what time? In this way, Sabbath is Jesus' invitation into heaven's rhythms on earth in your home. This planet is overrun with all kinds of rhythms that do not fit the way of Jesus. Jesus, like our king, peasant king, who walked the earth without a home and taught people not to worry, using like sparrows as examples and flowers, our culture runs counter to Jesus in so many ways. And when we buy into the frantic pace of busyness, like, I can't take one day off a week. I have to do something all seven or whatever. If we buy into that, we trade our Sabbath eternity for a quick hit of the temporary. So Park Hill Church, we have to learn to feast on the goodness of God, to delight in him quite literally. Literally. Spend a day, if you can, reflecting and responding to the good news that Jesus is the true king, not me. That's God's heart for you all along. When he met Moses on the mountain to shape a people at the beginning, after they were delivered from Egypt, he said this. He's like, my presence is gonna go with you. You have slide uh, 26, yeah. My presence will go with you, why? And I will give you rest. That's why I'm going. That's, That's God with us. It's paradise. The thief on the cross, remember me, Jesus, when you come to your kingdom. It's like, oh, today you'll be with me in paradise. You'll be with me. Paradise is a person. Paradise is a person. His presence is available now. Make room. Make room for paradise. Jesus Christ. So this is the invitation. So before we move to communion, I just want to pastorally respond to some objections. Hopefully this is helpful. Um, common objections to Sabbath. What about legalism? Talking about Sabbath feels legalistic. We're, we don't have to go by Moses' law anymore, right? And I want to say this. Yeah, you can be legalistic about anything. The Pharisees proved there's a way to do religion that's destructive. So my response, what about legalism? Don't do Sabbath legalistically, <laughs> Don't practice it to earn God's favor or out of some sense of shame that you, oh, I gotta just do that. No, do it because you have his favor already. It's not law-based, it's Jesus-based. This is a gift. So receive it as a gift. This goes for all the practices, reading scripture, prayer. Don't do any of them legalistically. Like, oh, I don't belong. I'm not a real Christian if I don't. No, no, you're already a Christian. You're already God, God's kid. Now enjoy God. And then the second A common objection is more like theological, like what about the new covenant? Sabbath is old covenant. We don't have to do it. Doesn't the Sabbath go away in the new covenant? Well, in a sense, yeah, Colossians 2.16, Paul says, let no one judge you on how you keep it or when you keep it. Let no one judge you. He doesn't erase it. He says we're not obligated to observe Sabbath in order to belong in the family of God. So so we're not obligated, 100%. So my response to that is, you're right, you're not obligated to keep Sabbath. So I would say you are absolutely free to ignore the wisdom of the work-rest rhythms of Jesus at your own peril. (laughs) Like, I know that sounds a little little snarky, but I, I, I do mean that. Like, it doesn't compromise your identity as a beloved child of God, but it'll compromise your mental health, you know so so what about so the third one what about our kids like what about just life it's so hard i can't even fathom a day where i'm not catching up and i get and i just want to give all the room this is the let no one judge you peace let no one judge you i do not judge you not giving you laws so so i get it life is insane especially in san diego which the beginning of 2022, San Diego moved to the top of the heap on most unaffordable cities to live in America. It beat San Francisco last year. Um, it's crazy. San Francisco still has a higher median income, uh, like a lot, but, but the house prices are somewhat similar and the median income is much lower here. It's just so hard. Uh, very unaffordable city to live in. So it's hard. I get it. How do you do Sabbath. So I have two thoughts on that. Hopefully it's pastoral and you receive this with love, because I mean it that way. Um, so my thought number one to the, to the response, life is too crazy, totally. Thought number one, Sabbath is not a luxury for the well-off. So that's a common objection I hear, like, oh, this, is, this conversation is just drenched in privilege, Evan, and I understand why some would say that, but remember, the Sabbath was given to newly freed Israelite homeless slaves in the desert. So, Pete Scazzaro, who I mentioned earlier, he writes a lot about Sabbath pastors in Queens, in an area of Queens that's one of the most multicultural, multiethnic, socioeconomically diverse regions. Of the West the whole Western Hemisphere Queens New York and listen his church has some well-off folks and lots of folks who aren't uh, and he teaches a Sabbath and his community practices it and he teaches his church in community groups rally around the single mom rally around the single mom working three jobs to feed her kids in low-income housing and and I talked with his assistant pastor uh, uh, rich and 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 rich. He told us that there is a mom that one community realized she's working seven days just to feed mouths, and her community rallied around her and provided Sabbath benevolence, provided Sabbath relief, gave her you know a, a, a thousand or fifteen hundred bucks or whatever she needed more a month in order to take one day to delight in the presence of God and community. It was a community. Sabbath observance. You guys, this is, we can think creatively, spirit-driven community here. Sabbath is not just privilege for the rich. It is a generous gift from a gracious God to all his community, all his people. And my thought number two, though, but it's just so hard for me. Sabbath, I can't think. Yes, it's <laughs> remembering the Sabbath can be super tough for all phases of life. Again, I'm not here to give you laws. Jesus said humans weren't made to serve Sabbath, Sabbath was made to serve humans, is what Jesus said. So what I'm trying to do here, it's not about laws. I want to give you a fresh vision for reorienting your life around Jesus' rhythms. And so you are the one. You guys are the one who needs to make it work with your weekly schedule. Some of you have Monday off. That's great. The point is to be the kind of people who bring a sense of restfulness and margin into your world. So here's the call for the summer right as we prepare for a busy fall by the way i heard this is the perfect day to talk about sabbath because park hill kids it's pj day back there <laughs> they i didn't even know they're like all wearing pajamas out, or pajamas i don't know which one you say but so uh, it's perfect so remember the sabbath every week here's the challenge remember a sabbath through the summer every week practice one this week pick a day If you can, watch what happens. It can be tough if you haven't really done it. Preparing for that day can also be a lot of work and it's worth it. And if you, listen, if you can't do a full day, try four hours this week. That is is your Sabbath. Light a candle at 1 p.m. and then blow it out at 5 p.m. at dinner. And for those four hours, be present to people. Be present to God. Do something delightful. Stack a couple of pleasures with a couple of loved ones in the name of Jesus for those four hours. Sabbath for four, and then, and then you grow into 12 hours, maybe next year, and then 24. And at first it can feel like the opposite of relaxing because it's been so long since you've been fully quiet and like eye contact as an act of worship. But listen, I've never met anyone who said, oh yeah, Sabbath, yeah, I used to do that. I've just never heard that guy. I've never heard that person. Uh, There's something about Sabbath that's a one-way ratchet. It just sticks. Once you start practicing, it just keeps sticking. So get together with your communities maybe this week. I know we don't have community plans, so maybe that's the nature of Sabbath. Maybe it's just a phone call or a text thread. Say, hey, how do you guys observe Sabbath? What's that look like for you? Pray for me as I try this week for six hours. Do something. Take a step. Let's be the kind of people who have such a beautiful grasp on rest and intimacy. We work hard and we rest well in the name of Jesus, so that people see Jesus through us. Our city is baffled by how centered Christians are in your neighborhood. Um, Let's take Jesus' yoke upon us, his work rhythms, and discover just how much rest he wants to give you. And then from there, I think we'll be able to hear his voice a whole lot better and respond with our whole person. So I'm actually gonna stop here and we're gonna move into a time of response and there's gonna be singing, but also prayer because I realize that a sermon like this could be like, I don't even, I don't even know where to start. I need help, I just need the spirit to give me, I just need to know how big my plate is, I'm, I'm anxious. I'll be honest you guys, I, I feel that right now about my plate. I thought my plate was a certain size five years ago. Either my plate shrunk <laughs> or or I was wrong, and, and I need Jesus to show me. Thankfully, we have vacation starting this next week for the Wickhams so that we can think about it, but maybe you need prayer. Maybe prayer and the revelation of the Holy Spirit, someone praying for you, saying, God, bless this person with your love. May your restful presence come to rest on this woman or this man. Receive prayer right now. Um, so before we come to the table, we're gonna do that with prayer. So feel free to stand, and we're gonna stand, and we're gonna sing And on my right and left, up front, there's going to be elders, pastors, community leaders, people who would love to just pray for you. If anything about this stirred up a hunger in you to be more restful, less anxious, more in tune with God's voice, less driven by questionable demands that come from narratives in our heads that we should be more achieve more do more you just want to hear the voice of god and come forward for prayer right now holy spirit would you come would you speak directly to our our souls through loving ministry and prayer right now come holy spirit as we sing would you speak would you heal anxiety would you remove false identities, and rediscover that we're loved by God, called to work and rest with God. In Jesus' name.